Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Stop. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Alison Balancehoe. This week, the show is all about Australopuxinia sidiae, better known as myrtle rust. It's been in Australia since 2010 and we were expecting it, even though, like all unwanted visitors, we were hoping it might stay away. We knew that once it got blown across the Tasman, there was very little likelihood of eradicating it. That's Catherine Duthie. She's the Myrtle Rust Incident Controller at MPI, the Ministry for Primary Industries. And blow across the Tasman is exactly what Myrtle Rust did last summer. This fungal plant disease was first detected in the New Zealand region in late March 2017. It was found on Pohutukawa trees on subtropical Raoul Island in the Kermadex. Five weeks later, it turned up for the first time on the New Zealand mainland, in Northland, in a Kerikeri nursery. MPI swung into action with a large control operation. Each time myrtle rust was reported, MPI teams moved in to destroy infected plants. Charlotte Austin is MPI's National Operations Manager for Myrtle Rust. When myrtle rust was first discovered in New Zealand on the mainland, it was coming into the winter period, so with the biology of the organism, we had temperature on our side, so a full eradication attempt was made. Now, as the response has gone on and we've come into the warmer months, into that perfect spiralation period, what this rust really likes, it likes the humidity and it likes the temperature. Unfortunately, due to the biology of the organism, we've just seen, um, seen it further and further throughout New Zealand and eradication is no longer an option. It was a game of whack-a-mole. As fast as they cleared up one infestation, two more would appear. Myrtle rust has now been reported for more than 580 infected properties, and that number grows daily. It's just been confirmed in East Cape, bringing the number of regions it's in, so far at least, to 10, covering most of the North Island as well as Tasman in the South Island. A year down the track, it's clear that myrtle rust is here to stay. And I want to know more about what it is, how it's impacting plants and ecosystems here and in other countries, and how science could help. My mission to find out more about myrtle rust in New Zealand is actually starting at home, and it's starting on my phone. I'm just downloading an app that's all about myrtle rust. It's called the Myrtle Rust Reporter. And I've just installed it, and I'm going to open it. And it tells me, as citizen scientists, one way to help is by mapping potential plants and then monitoring them periodically for signs of the disease. That bilingual app has been developed by Scion, which is one of many New Zealand science organisations interested in the issue of myrtle rust, and we'll come back to it later. First up, what exactly is myrtle rust? Rusts are a kind of fungus and they get the name rust because they produce large numbers of tiny, rust-coloured, orangey-ready spores, which is how the fungus spreads. 
Manaki Whenua Landcare Researcher's Madge Padamsi manages the National Fungarium. That's like a herbarium but for fungi instead of plants. She specialises in rusts. It's one of the types of fungi that have very complex life cycles, so they can go from being completely asexual to having up to five different spore stages. The myrtle rust spores we're most likely to see are bright yellow. Now, the most common way that rust fungi move around is by iridinia spores. It's also called the summer spore. So this, this type of spore is an asexual spore, and these are windblown, and they produce a lot of it and can go vast distances. Rusts infect the leaves of plants. You might have seen rusts in your garden on plants like raspberries, and poplar rust, which blew here from Australia in the 1970s, is a problem with willows as well as poplars. So rust fungi in general have very, very specific host relationships. A lot of rust fungi are used as biocontrol agents, specifically because they are so specific. The lantana biocontrol rust was brought in because it, it only infects lantana, and it only actually infects a certain type of lantana, it doesn't spread around. Myrtle rust, on the other hand, is rather promiscuous. What's really interesting and, you know, which is also the reason why it's so devastating is that it can infect all species of an entire family of plants. Worldwide, there are nearly 6,000 species in the Myrtaceae family. Everything from Pohutukawa and Manuka to Fijoa and eucalypts, monkey apples and bottle brush. And to date, myrtle rust has been found on more than 450 of them. Myrtle rust also has speed on its side. It's a very unusual rust in that it has a very, very fast life cycle. So most rust, it's the whole year to complete the life cycle For myrtle rust, it seems to be happening, that you can get new infections happening in a month. For that to happen, the rust needs warmth, generally between about 15 and 25 degrees. It needs high humidity and moist leaf surfaces and at least six hours of darkness. If conditions are perfect, it can produce new spores within 10 days. And if conditions aren't perfect? Well, if they're dry, the spores can last for months and maybe as long as a year. So they have time on their side as well. So where does this super rust come from? Myrtle rust was first detected in Brazil in the 1970s. It was initially called eucalypt rust because it infected plantations of eucalypts or gum trees. Seedlings with young leaves are particularly vulnerable. In the first outbreak, more than 400,000 eucalypt seedlings died in one nursery alone. There are a number of different strains of myrtle rust. The one that we're concerned with is the pandemic strain. This is widespread in the Caribbean and Central America, California, Indonesia, China, New Caledonia, Australia, New Zealand and Hawaii. Janice Ushida is a plant pathologist at the University of Hawaii. She's been studying myrtle rust since it was first detected on the island of Oahu in April 2005. It was discovered at a commercial nursery, but we soon found out it was really widespread on rose apple. So it's possible it came in, it went on to rose apple, multiplied, and spread to his nursery. Because there's so much rose apple 
So as soon as it's moist, the yellow spores blows in the environment, infects the young tissue, kills the young tissue, and then soon the trees began to get weaker and weaker. But in the meantime, they made a lot of spores. There were so much spores being made that under the trees there would be like a yellow powder. Hawaii quickly discovered that myrtle rust was widespread and eradication impossible. And by the end of 2005, the fungus had spread from Oahu to all but one of the other islands. Myrtle rust is killing even large trees in Hawaii. I think the severity to which it attacked the rose apple trees was surprising to many people that it could kill a tree. And these are large trees. But every time it makes new leaves, the rust gets in there, kills all the new leaves. So gradually over the years, the, leaf, the tree got weaker and weaker. In Hawaii's case, the trees that are dying from myrtle rust are mostly rose apple, which is an invasive weed. So you could say that's a bonus, I suppose. But on the downside, rose apple is also a reservoir for myrtle rust spores that go on to infect a threatened plant called Eugenia. And Janice says they're having great difficulty keeping the few remaining Eugenia plants alive. The dominant tree species on Oahu is a Metrosideris called Ohia. It's related to our Pohutukawa. To start with, there were concerns it might be significantly affected by myrtle rust, and it is indeed facing a crisis. But surprisingly, myrtle rust is not to blame. The culprit is another fungus called Ceratocystis. And yes, that's on MPI's watch list as a potential threat to New Zealand. But sticking with myrtle rust, let's move to Australia, which has had quite a different experience to Hawaii. Jeff Pegg is a forest pathologist. He works for the Queensland Government's Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry. Jeff says that myrtle rust was first detected in a New South Wales nursery in April 2010. He says they have no idea how the fungus reached Australia and it quickly spread. In New South Wales and Queensland, it's really well established uh, in the native ecosystems now, um, primarily east of the, the Great Dividing Range. But I guess the good news is that it hasn't uh, yet turned up in, in Western Australia or South Australia. But what we've seen, on the, I guess, on the east coast here is that, that if there's a susceptible host and it's, it's growing actively, then it's, it seems to be susceptible to rust. We don't seem to have a, a period when we have a, a downtime for the rust here on the east coast, particularly in these subtropical regions. Um, it seems to be active all times of year, following either rainfall or, or conditions that, that where you just have that extra leaf moisture around and good growing conditions for the, the host plant as well. Myrtle rust is of particular concern for Australia, as most of its native ecosystems are dominated by plants in the Myrtaceae family. There's over 2,200 species that are native to Australia, and currently we're looking probably around 350 species that, that have been identified as, as hosts in Australia. That includes data from glasshouse studies as well as, as field observations. We've probably identified around 45 of those as being as what we would consider highly susceptible, but we're still really trying to get an understanding of, of, of all these different hosts. Obviously, dealing with so many different hosts uh, you know, it makes it quite a challenging pathogen to, to work with. In the cooler southern states of Victoria and Tasmania, myrtle rust is only affecting plants in parks and gardens. 
but further north, it's already having significant effects in native ecosystems. What we're seeing is that the some trees will get infected and then they'll try and throw out new shoots to replace those infected leaves. Uh, those in turn get infected and we get this slow decline over time just due to this repeat infection. And that's what we're seeing now is, is sort of this gradual uh, tree dieback. So we're getting branch dieback initially um, and then presence of epicormic shoots indicating that the trees are quite stressed because of that repeated infection. In turn, those epicormic shoots, because they are that new growth flush, um, are getting infected themselves. And then we're seeing um, death of trees. And some of this has been actually alarmingly quite rapid. Some trees we've seen die within the first four to five years of rust first being detected in Australia. This is even quite mature trees um, that we're seeing this happen to, so 20, 25 metre rainforest trees. So would I notice this impact if I was driving through Queensland? What we're seeing in some of the sites is... is not so much the overstory um, that's being affected. So from from the outside looking in, the, the I guess the, the whole ecosystem looks quite healthy. But what we're seeing is the mid-story and understory species in some of these sites, particularly in these rainforest sites we've looked at, being killed off. Um, now we've only looked at a couple of, of different sites, so whether this is broad scale, we're not quite sure. Um, and what is becoming challenging for those that are not familiar with, with the disease is that a lot of these sites are just dead trees, so unless you've been following it through, um, we won't actually know whether it's been rust that's killed these, these trees. Another issue is that as the canopy dies and more light is let in, seeds in the soil germinate and these seedlings are quickly killed. For a couple of highly threatened species, this has already happened so much that the soil seed bank has been depleted and in places they've become locally extinct. Fire is another risk. Australian plants have evolved to germinate and re-sprout after fire, and many Leptospernum species, think manuka, are getting knocked back as this new growth becomes infected. As soon as myrtle rust reached Australia eight years ago, New Zealand began planning for its undesirable but horribly inevitable arrival here, all the while hoping that our cooler climate might work in our favour. Tony Beecham works for the Department of Conservation, He's been thinking a lot about our native myrtle species and says it's been useful to see how New Zealand species planted in parks and gardens in Australia have coped with the rust. We knew that uh, Ramarama was going to be infected significantly because it had um, been the one species that had been found to be contaminated in gardens in Tasmania. We also got some indication that Pudakawa was variable in its expression of uh, resistance. Uh, between highly susceptible to moderately resistant. And some Kermadec Pudakar was planted in Queensland and uh, we got photographs of um, some of the um, myrtle rust um, infections on them. Tony had developed a monitoring plan for Rowell Island. Rowell has a unique forest that's nearly totally made up of its own species of Pohutakawa, the Kermadec Pohutakawa. Tony thought that if myrtle rust was detected in New Zealand first, then it might be possible to stop it establishing on RAL. For several years there had been regular checks on sentinel trees that lined the main track between the island's accommodation and the landing site. But what happened confounded expectations. Well, as it happened, RAL was the first detection in New Zealand. It was first detected by David Havala technical advisor of the Department of Conservation who was um, looking at some trees that had lost 
Balsam, Canopy and Denham Bay, which is on the far side of the island from the accommodation. So a site that we weren't ever expecting to pick up um, Everest um, on the island. It was not where they'd been looking, and the infestation was already so well established that there was no way it could be controlled. Just five weeks later, it was detected in a Kerikeri nursery on mainland New Zealand. Phil Hancock leads Doc's Myrtle Rust response, working closely with MPI but with a focus on native plants and ecosystems. We started doing some winter surveillance. While we knew what we were looking for, we had no idea whereabouts in the native ecosystem it would be. We had a thing if it would be likely under 500 metres in altitude and likely in a moist valley that was warm. That was about all we had to go on. In its first year in New Zealand, Myrtle Rust turned up in more than 580 nurseries, parks and gardens. That's the downside of a hot summer, eh? But the first detection in a native ecosystem on the mainland was the Mount Messenger wetland in North Taranaki. It took a long time for it to show up in natural ecosystems. It was only about six weeks ago we found an infestation in Mount Messenger. It was found in a Ramarama, quite a lot of Ramarama actually. It was sort of agreed this was a bit of a no-brainer. Let's remove a couple of hundred trees with the hope of protecting this whole ecosystem. After a couple of days, we sort of put things on hold, really. We'd removed close to 2,000, or just over 2,000 seedlings and um, saplings and about 150 trees and still had a really significant part of the wetland to go. Since then, myrtle rust has turned up in at least four more native ecosystems. Mount Karioi and another nearby reserve in the Waikato, just last week at East Cape, and this week in the Wellington region. And these won't be the last, by a long shot. Phil mentioned how many Ramarama seedlings with young leaves were infected at Mount Messenger. If you're familiar with Pohutukawa on the mainland, you'll know that it produces a flush of new leaves in the canopy each summer after flowering, and it often sprouts new leaves and shoots around its base. That's what botanists call epicormic growth. Tony visited Raoul in March this year to assess the impact of myrtle rust on the island a year after it was discovered there. With its subtropical climate similar to Queensland, the expectation had been that it will do well there. We had um, myrtle rust at most of the sites we were expecting to find it. We're not seeing much at the moment. We've still got infection in the first two metres from the uh, forest floor in the epicormic growth um, on the trees, but we're not seeing infection in the canopy of the trees at present. Uh, that doesn't mean to say that we won't get infection. We've already seen that, but it, we've probably been through a, a drier and less humid period and the rust hasn't been as prevalent. But while older leaves and mature trees were surviving well, seedlings growing in the volcanic caldera were being heavily affected by the rust. Kermadec pohutakawa behaves slightly differently to the mainland species. It flowers almost continually and has several flushes of new growth each year. Tony says this could be a good or a bad thing. If rust is less active during drier summers and only active during damper winters, that would allow some leaves to survive. Or if we ended up in a situation where uh, the rust was active for a very long period of time, obviously we could end up in a situation where there was um, canopy loss. But all sorts of other factors come into play as well. 
Yes, and the uh, lower epicormic growth um, in the areas in Denham Bay at present, um, we have ants and uh, scale insects, and the ants move the scale insects to the new uh, developing foliage. The ants and probably the scale insects are probably making the situation worse than those um, stems that have both scale insect myrtle rust and ants on them appear to be... um, being impacted to a far greater degree than um, stems where there's no ant and scale insect association. Tony says it's far too soon to know what the long-term impact of myrtle rust will be on Raoul's Pahutakawa. He plans to keep monitoring. As soon as myrtle rust was found on Raoul Island in March 2017, Doc kicked off an extensive seed banking programme. At times, hundreds of Doc staff have been involved and I met some of them recently on Aurangi in the Poor Knights Islands. I'm Tertia Thurley. And I'm Harvey Steeds. We're here as part of Doc's Seed Collection Project. So here we're collecting kanuka specifically. Most of it is um, accessible from the ground, so we sh- should be able to just um, reach up and cut off the um, branches we need with the seeds on them. Uh, but then there's, there's probably, we're going to run out of those low trees before we get our quota of seeds so um, there's um, some high, higher trees that we'll probably need to climb. How many trees? Uh, we're aiming for 50, yeah. New Zealand has just over 40 species of native myrtles including Pohutukawa and Rata, Manuka and Kanuka, Ramarama and Swamp Mairi. We're targeting 37, which for people who know anything about myrtles will be the wrong number. We did a lot of work and myrtles appear to have about 49 sub-regions across New Zealand. Um, So when you do a little bit of a matrix work, we've got about 455 collections that we need to do to get one from each sub-region. That's going to keep the seed bank pretty busy. The seed bank is the New Zealand Indigenous Flora Seed Bank. It's a collaboration between Massey University and Ag Research, they have their work cut out dealing with both the quantity of seeds they get and the kinds of seeds. Mutatia seeds seem to come in two sizes. One is very, very tiny. They make mustard seeds look large. Um, the other is the fruity seed. So Swamp Māori and Ramarama and a couple of others have got a, a fruity seed, which can't handle being dried or desiccated, which is sort of a prerequisite for throwing them in the conventional seed bank. So... Yeah, I think the thing we've learnt is that seed banking is not a one-off exercise. I suspect seed banking will become a core function. It's not a case of just putting it in the bank and job done forever. So far, Ramarama is the species most at risk, although Phil is quick to point out that it's much harder to check swamp mighty trees, which are also considered at risk but tend to be very tall. What we've seen of Ramarama so far is it's very much as risky a plant as as you can have at this point. It's a bit of a canary, and it's not a canary that sort of says, you know, high metal rust is here. It is heavily impacted. There's a lot of cases where the plants are dying, so there's a real risk of of ramarama being lost. What about commercially valuable species, such as fijoas and manuka, which is important to the manuka honey industry as well as for forest regeneration? 
So Fijoa and Manuka are in the myrtle family. However, there's evidence that they are unlikely to be heavily affected. What we've seen from Australia is that uh, Manuka, they have the same species as us, has not been particularly affected. And there are some areas with climate very similar to New Zealand that no Manuka species have been infected in the wild. They've only been in very protected environments and at very low levels of infection. Fijoa is another species that's in the myrtle family. This is a South American species, so it's co-evolved with myrtle rust. And there are indications from trials from other countries where they have tried to inoculate Fijoa with myrtle rust, and it's a very hard species to get any disease progression growing on that tree. All of this raises the important question of whether some species might be resistant to myrtle rust. Grant Smith is a plant pathologist who worked on myrtle rust in Australia before moving to plant and food research here in New Zealand. One of the key findings from the Australian research is there is resistance to myrtle rust in the Australian myrtaceae and it's based at population level. So seed collected from the same species in different locations can show quite significant differences in the number of individuals that show resistance. So sometimes it's 10% of the individuals are resistant, another another seek of the same species from a different area, 80% of the individuals will show resistance. That's encouraging in terms of saying there is resistance there. The big challenge for us is how to exploit it, and it's the same challenge for the Australians, how to exploit that resistance. In particular, because for native plants, we generally don't have breeding programs, so we don't understand the basis of the genetics to try and um, manipulate them. The situation was quite different in Brazil back in the 1970s. When they were struck by myrtle rust, they were able to use their existing eucalypt breeding program to breed new varieties of trees that were resistant. Now, although they do still lose some young trees to the rust, the eucalypt plantation industry is going strong. Myrtle rust is regarded as a dangerous pathogen in New Zealand, so scientists have not been allowed to collect specimens of myrtle rust or work with it in the lab. Grant says that a consortium of researchers got funding last year to test seedlings of New Zealand native plants to see how resistant they might be to myrtle rust. This work is to be done in Australia. Unfortunately, the detection of myrtle rust here has slowed the permitting process and the seeds are still sitting in New Zealand. But Grant remains hopeful that it will happen. Knowing the full genome for a species is a very useful step in breeding plants that are resistant to particular diseases. So colleagues in plant and food have um, sequenced the genome of Manuka, so we have a a genome resource that we can start to utilise and explore. Colleagues in Scion have also sequenced some of the eucalypts that we've got here. Plant genomes are really big. Sequencing them and assembling the data so you know you can you can make sense of it and use it um, takes a lot of effort. Um, you know some of these genomes are far far bigger than than, than the human genome. If we need to um, breed resistant manuka, for example, these aren't things that we can do tomorrow. These are things that are going to take us a few years. Grant says New Zealand scientists are now collaborating with the Australians to sequence the genome of the fungus itself. One of the things we are doing as part of the additional funding that MPI have provided us is to sequence the fungal genome. Can we find the genes in this pathogen that actually are probably responsible for for causing disease? Because right now we do not understand how this pathogen causes disease um, across such a massive host range. There's been a few attempts to sequence this genome. 
what's become apparent is the genome was, this fungal genome was far, far larger than anyone actually expected it to be, and that meant that the early attempts didn't have enough data to assemble a genome that was actually useful. We've heard how difficult it is to store myrtle seeds in the long term, and Grant says that scientists are looking at alternatives. Some of the effort will also be in trying to also look at can we use alternatives to seed banking, so germplasm conservation. Um, so that's we either tissue culture plants or embryos or other things that are actually stored long term. So yeah, we're just trying to future proof, I guess, right now more than anything. The problem is the fungus is also always trying to future proof itself. Here's Tony Beecham again. The main issue is um, what's been happening in Australia, and that's that in the Brisbane Botanic Gardens, there are plants that haven't had myrtle rust in them for over seven years, and then suddenly they become infected and die. So the rust probably has the capacity to adapt to its local environments and to specific plants in particular. So the initial impact of myrtle rust is not necessarily... The, um, the final impact, and people need to be vigilant. The other thing is we've got the pandemic strain of myrtle rust, which has moved throughout most of the world. Um, there are at least um, seven other strains of myrtle rust. Most of them are in, still in uh, South America. But uh, in South Africa, there is a, a strain of myrtle rust for which nobody knows the origin um, it's not one that's known to a location in uh, South America. I've also been told that myrtle rust might be adapting to colder regions in Australia by producing spores at lower temperatures, as low as 6 degrees apparently. So myrtle rust never sleeps, and we need to remain vigilant, which is where the app comes in. Earlier in the show, I downloaded the Myrtle Rust Reporter app onto my phone, and I'm now going to wander around my garden taking some pictures of some of the myrtle species here that I can keep an eye on. So I've got Pohutukawa, and as we've heard, those new growths, those epicormic growths around the base, they're a good thing to keep an eye on. So I'll take a picture of this tree here. And almost right next door to that Pohutukawa, actually, I've got a bottle brush. That's an introduced Australian species, so that's another myrtle. And just round the corner, I've got one lone Fijoa bush, but if I keep going, I know that my neighbours have a line of Fijoa. So I'll actually take a picture of my neighbours' Fijoas. So that's three. They reckon keeping an eye on 12... I don't have any Rama Rama in my garden. I actually haven't seen any in the neighbourhood, but I'll pick a few other things to keep an eye on and that'll be my citizen science bit. It's something you might consider doing too. Catherine Duffy from MPI says it's still important to report sightings of trees that you suspect might be infected. So we're still asking people to call us when they see it because it may be that it's a new area or it's a new host and this is all really important information for the long-term management of myrtle rust. So if you think you've found myrtle rust, don't touch it as it's incredibly easy to move the spores, but do take a photo and ring the MPI hotline for advice. 0800 80 66. Now, all the experts I've spoken to agree that it's still very early days. Myrtle rust is still popping up all over the place, 
and we don't yet know where all those places might be. We really have no idea what the long-term impact of myrtle rust will be, either in Australia or here in New Zealand. There may well be areas of New Zealand where myrtle rust will have a huge impact and these areas are likely to be warmer and wetter and so myrtle rust will have the ideal opportunity to grow there. In Australia they've seen localised extinctions of species in particular areas. We may well see a similar thing. I think we are unlikely to see wide-scale death of trees. It will very much depend on the environment but there may well be small pockets of New Zealand where trees will die. Thanks for listening to this Our Changing World feature on Myrtle Rust. We heard from Catherine Duthie and Charlotte Austin from MPI, Phil Hancock, Tony Beecham, Tersha Thurley and Harvey Steeds from the Department of Conservation, Janice Ushida from the University of Hawaii, Jeff Pegg from the Queensland Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, Madge Padamsi from Manaki Whenua Landcare Research and Grant Smith from Plant and Food Research. I'm Alison Balance, and you can find more information at our webpage, rnz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Bye for now. Matewa.